Hello, everyone, and welcome back to one of our final episodes of the Financial Confessions this season. I can barely contain my excitement. The energy in our office has rarely been this buzzing because we have saved uh, some of the best for last. This is the guest we've been by far the most excited about all season. She, for most of us, probably needs no introduction, but in case you weren't familiar, she is travel host extraordinaire, travel icon, I would say, Emmy winner, uh, and host of PBS's Places to Love. Her name is Samantha Brown, and she is here from her home in Brooklyn all the way to our office in Columbus Circle. Hello. Chelsea, thank you so much for inviting me. This is an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for being here. Um, So as I mentioned, you live in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. but you have been to how many countries? Uh, You know, I'm I'm not, (laughs) I'm on a financial podcast and I'm not really a numbers person, Uh but I, I would say it's around 74 how many countries are there in the world? There's over 200. Okay. And then, you know, some people are like, well, Vatican City is actually an autonomous, so you could count that as a country. Okay. And then there's always like Liechtenstein, which, you know, there's always these little enclaves of like, oh, that's a country. Oh, actually, that can be considered a country because of its autonomy. And so you, how long have you been actually hosting travel shows? This year will be, 2024 will be my 25th anniversary of being on television hosting travel programs yeah it's huge I didn't actually that again like I said I'm not really good at you know keeping track of numbers and it just hit me probably two months ago and I thought oh my goodness 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 gracious um that but I didn't realize that but yeah a long time and so, okay, so for those of uh, those in our audience who are newer to your work, can you just quickly take us through your travel hosting career in broad strokes so people can catch up? Sure. So I started on the Travel Channel, was with them for about 15 years, and that's where the bulk of people really know me from. And right. I started with a show called Great Vacation Homes, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I would just spend time in their vacation homes. You couldn't actually rent them. Um, and then we did great hotels. Then from there, it was like Girl Meets Hawaii. Yes, I spent a year in Hawaii, exploring just about every island, um, except I think Niihau, which is the only one you can't go to. Um, and then, uh, then from there was um, Passport to Europe. That was huge. That was three seasons. Then it was Passport to Latin America. I did a China series, and then oh, Great Weekends. So mm-hmm. uh, thirteen seasons in total. Um, I was with them at the Travel Channel. Uh, uh, They let me go. They let go of my contract. They didn't renew it. And so then I struck out on my own. And I now own uh, the show Places to Love, which airs on PBS. And you produce that with your husband. Is that right? I do. Absolutely. Well, I want to just talk about that real quick. Because obviously a lot of what we'll talk about and what our audience questions are about is is more focused on travel. But I am really fascinated with uh, this journey of coming to own your IP mm-hmm. and to do a show that you produce and that you kind of own. Um, can you talk about what brought you that to that decision and, you know, what are some of the pros and cons of being so, you know, autonomous? Um, well, one, I was out of a job, so I thought, well, yeah. what else can I do? <laughs> and also, though, there wasn't, uh, you know, we kind of left at a point where Travel Channel was changing deeply and they were going away from even travel programming as well as even women hosts. Mm -hmm. So uh, I still really wanted to do uh, what I did, and I knew I was good at what I did. And so I believe someone brought up the idea, like, well, why don't you do like what Rick Steves does? I mean, Rick Steves, I think everyone knows who Rick Steves is in terms of the travel world. And uh, so we just sort of like looked into public television. Public television is very different from cable or anything you see network-wise, Netflix-wise, anything what you do is you raise all of your own funding. Mm-hmm. You uh, produce however many episodes you can afford to produce. Then you give it back to public television, and that's basically PBS or APT, for free. And there are about 320 stations across the United States. Each one is an individual station. You know, Boston, New York, Washington are the big ones. Um, and then, uh, but what you get back in return for giving them that freedom, is that uh, free programming, is that that you own your work. And this mm. was huge to me. Um, being with the Travel Channel for 15 years, I was a hired host. I didn't own one 
square inch of footage of me and at some point you start to not even own who you are it's really dictated by a network and not in a bad way I'm not trying to paint that type of picture but all of a sudden you start to really slip in terms of getting to control your schedule your time how you're perceived how a show is edited it becomes really amazing how many people start to be able to kind of dictate who you are and so that to me alone was it's kind of like the same thing as you're tired of renting an apartment and you want to own something um, because then it's yours. So that's a generally the the financial makeup of PBS. You mentioned that um, the Travel Channel was moving away from more women hosts. Mm. And I think that there's been in pop culture, especially over the past maybe 10 to 15 years, this trend of sort of the the bad boy like the you know whether it's chefs or there's been a lot of you know musicians actors people um you know who are doing travel programming who i think come at it from a very specifically masculine point of view and there's i think often like an element of you know the taboo the grimy underbelly of things Mm. the you know almost a going from being I want to get a more um, you know accessible experience into a more kind of uh, almost theatrical experience in some ways I would really be interested in your take on that approach to travel programming in general that has become so popular yeah I think you know we're you know I think Anthony Bourdain of course really began that and he was such a singular talent Um, he was so unique and in his self and who he was and what he represented was absolutely who he was. Mm-hmm. And then everyone wants to be the knockoff. Right. So that's something that became really a part of my career. I would meet with producers and they would say, well, what we're looking for is the next Anthony Bourdain. I would even be asked, can you get negative? Because I was perceived as positive. Right. And people didn't really want positive anymore. And, mm. and that became an interesting idea that somehow the negative is seen as more authentic, more truth telling. Right. Where the positive, you're actually lying, and which I didn't agree with at all. When you produce a travel show or any sort of television, you can absolutely go for the negative experiences. That is in your control, or you can avoid those negative experiences and go for the positive ones. You, you don't just show up and see what happens, right? You have to have um, permits to be there. People have to agree to be on camera with you. There's right. all these things. So the whole manifestation of, okay, we're going to make this like a, a negative show, that's all planned ahead of time mm. and so and um so this whole like you know the, the negative people speak the truth I always thought I, w- I always kind of bristled at because I'm like oh that's not that's just not true but then you know it's um for me the the interesting thing that I started to see where everything about travel became food men that is a, men that eating is true. food <laughs> men um, eating food is a big genre it's a it's a huge genre it's the only it's almost the it's replaced the travel genre um, I think you're right. Men eating. <laughs> and um, and there's true. some really great men who eat. I love it. But they're not showing <laughs> anything else. They're not showing like my, my you know, the, the public spaces, the architecture, the, the culture that is around food is no doubt strong. But there's so much that we are missing when we just focus on eating. That is a really good point. And I will say it's funny. You brought up Anthony Bourdain, who I think is definitely a touchstone in the genre. But I think when I'm thinking of this specific type of food programming, I was actually more thinking of like Vice, which I think has really sort of, especially on the internet, dominated that space and created its own kind of language, which where you're right, like how many times am I going to see a man covered in tattoos, like go to a food truck, you know, like (laughs) there's only so many times you can watch it. so true. Um, (laughs) But I also think, you know, the, the key thing in there for me is the consumerism aspect of it because obviously food is one of the most consumable aspects Mm. of travel literally and sort of metaphorically and I think you know we've done content recently around the consumerification of travel, the commodification of travel, the ways in which travel has become way more democratized than it's ever been and yet not unlike, you know, whether it's fast fashion or really poorly produced consumer goods, food, et cetera, we've also cheapened it in a lot of ways. And there are huge, huge costs to the way travel has um, become kind of absorbed into the culture in a really ubiquitous and sometimes thoughtless way, I think. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the way you've seen travel change from the time you started doing this to the way people are approaching travel now? 
Uh, I think, like you said, you hit the nail on the head when you said democratization. Um, we now have at our fingertips with our phone complete access. Right. The positives of that, uh, when I first started, I had, um, you know, a calling card and it may or may not work and I couldn't call anybody and I would have to spend a half an hour figuring out how I was going to call home. Uh, then um, luckily Skype came, but now, or I had a world phone <laughs> where I could, you know, it would be $5 a minute. I would have 200 <gasps> $100 phone calls because I needed to call my mom. Something was wrong. So that has become easier. Um, we don't have to rely on public transportation schedules and understanding maps of bus uh, routes. We can just call a ride share and get to wherever we want to go. And for women, we also have the ride home. That was always the big thing for me. If I'm in Rome and there's this really amazing restaurant, but it's out of the way, sure, I can get a cab there am I going to be able to get a cab back? Right. So for me, that safety has just, it's huge. So that has been amazing. I think the downside is that everyone is going to, everyone is just like commenting on the same stuff. Yes. Um, and I'm amazed by the amount of people who, you know, who write reviews, right? Like if you go to any, like if you go to Amazon and look up Charmin toilet paper, 2,000 people have left reviews. What do you have to say about toilet paper that has- Listen, hasn't... they make a so... good product. <laughs> what can I say? But uh, but now we put that into the travel space sure. and oh my gosh. And so there's so much noise and um, yeah, I think there's just, um, it's at our fingertips, but it's now a tsunami of information that none of us, even professionals like me, can really parse through to get to, well, um, or I should say it's harder to cut through that to find, well, what is the experience that I want to have and that I can afford to have? Well, that brings up such, okay, so you might have read this article, and I, for the love of my life, cannot remember where it was from. It might have been in New York Mag or something, but there was an article last year about sort of Instagram travel places that everyone uh, is going to. And I think the one that she was focused on was either Capri or Positano. Okay. Um, and both of those were like, I would say like my two least favorite places I've ever been. Not not Capri or Positano's fault, I should say, mm -hmm. but the fault of the fact, and granted, I mean, no one forced me to go in August. That was a horrible decision. <laughs> um, but it was just so fascinating how in going to the Amalfi Coast, which I had never been to before, you know, we had we spent a week in Naples before that, and a lot of people told me prior to going, don't even bother with Naples, just go to the Amalfi Coast. And we I far and away preferred Naples on every level and want to go back as soon as I can. And I'm happy to never go to any of those places again. And Obviously, it's undeniable that, you know, in the Amalfi Coast, you have some of the most beautiful landscapes in the world, but it seems as though there becomes a critical mass at which it is no longer possible to enjoy a travel experience um, in anything approaching an authentic way or a personal way. Um, and yet, those are the places that are just algorithmically targeted to us. Um, so how do you go about choosing places that are interesting to travel to um, that kind of cut through that noise a little bit. Yeah, it's actually really easy. It's so easy um, because <laughs> because you know I think we're we. I, it's interesting. I call them um, B sides. So I treat destinations like records. If you remember records, there was an A side and a B side, a forty five. The A side was the hit. The B side was the sure. good song, but still a, a nice nice song. wasn't the hit. And so if you're thinking about, you know, um, Rome, Rome is going to be crazy. Uh, Florence is going to be crazy. But Bologna, maybe not so much. If you think about Paris, that's going to be nuts. Lyon, not so much. Yeah. So you think, I always think in terms of, well, what's the greatest hit? And then what's the, 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 the little, the, the lesser known jewel that I'm going to get the entire culture that I want to get, but it's not going to be inundated by everyone around the world it's not just americans right um it's it's everyone wanting to go to these destinations that they've heard so much about and they become theme parks so we stay away from those destinations just because as a film crew i'm a team of eight we can't show up we don't we we take up a lot of space and room so yeah. they're just places that we know we can't go to so it's a lot of um, go to Positano, but maybe not, like you said, like in August or July. What was but I yeah, thinking? well, I mean, you were thinking you were, you know, you wanted to love the place and you had read about it and. 
probably saw movies where you know you see that gorgeous Positano coast, which is phenomenal. It is of very pretty. You see it, it is very pretty. Yeah, but yeah. I but I also think there's you know what's so interesting to me too is there's a certain kind of traveler that gravitates toward those places, and I would say that's probably the only holiday destination I've ever been to mm-hmm. that was that intensely commodified and mm-hmm. I think the proportion is probably something like in peak tourist season 50 tourists to a local or some out- outrageous number um but it attracts in addition to everyone it also because these are usually very luxurious mm. places yeah accommodations definitely insane and it's so interesting my my husband and I one day we went to lunch at this exquisite hotel that overlooks the most you know gorgeous little cove whatever did you go to La Cyrano's hell no <laughs> that <laughs> Okay, even that's that's the really nice the, oh, one. but it's funny you bring that up. So we uh, had initially we were thinking of going to lunch there, and then just even walking by that place, like they have a little store across yeah. from it. Like yeah. you can't even walk in the store. Yeah. It's and it's truly like you know not people that you want to spend uh, too much time with. But it was a very comparable hotel, a little further up the mountain. And anyway, we're so we're at lunch, and there's a table next to us of these four, you know, twenty thirty somethings with you know the most outrageous amount of money. Mm. They might as well have been at TGI Fridays the, the entire time on their phones, complaining, talking about what nightclub they were going to go to. I don't even think they looked wow. at the water. You're just like, how do you afford this? <laughs> well, and also there becomes, I think, with as accessible as travel can be and with as much money can be thrown at it, mm-hmm. I think there's also a total desensitization to where you are and the luxury you're experiencing. And for me, even being around people who have that approach to these kind of trips sort of deadens my experience a little bit you know it feels contagious and I'm wondering for yourself as someone who travels so much how do you keep yourself feeling grateful present grounded able to enjoy it yeah Uh, so going back listeners I did get to stay there we went there in, in the in the winter and so the prices were low and there was no one there. Of course, it wasn't beautiful, and cut, but it was beautiful. It was just one of the mo- And I still wear their perfume. I bought their perfume. Good for I still you. ordered it their perfume. It is a beautiful hotel. It's, it's, it's exquisite. It's, it's, it, that's the word. It's exquisite. So I'm sorry. What was your question? Because I was so stuck on the serenade. Well, I mean, no, but just, you, I mean, obviously. How do we avoid that? Um, that, that desensitization. Oh, gosh. Um, I, I guess I just avoid those places where, you know, even in New York City, I'm walking around. I've lived here my whole life. But I go down to Soho and, like, who are the people that are everyone's doing their own little photo shop or photo shoot because they're you know influencers in fashion or whatever and I'm like wow that's kind of strange um we you know I guess it's the things we choose to do um in our show Uh, for me it's really about getting to know locals and I know that's a cliche in itself in um in on travel but I feel that traveler that instagram that influencer is just getting that veneer and they want the pretty shots so they're going for that obvious pretty place um i see pretty and i go the other way i don't care about pretty i really don't i care about a local community and so um to find that is actually surprisingly simple Whatever that main thoroughfare is that everyone's on, you walk the peripheral streets. You walk the side streets. The side streets are where the locals are. So if you're in Paris, the Champs-Élysées is, you know, of course, all commercial, all tourism. Only one or two streets away you have where the locals are. It's still the center of town. Locals are, like here in New York City, we are still inhabiting this space. We're just not going to Times Square to eat at the Hard Rock Cafe. But a block away, you're going to find us, right? So it's finding those little mom and pop shops, those one woman in a dream shops that we're always looking for. And we will, when we we do a pre-pro for our show, which is about two months before we're actually going to arrive there to shoot, we actually just walk the beat of walking these streets to see what's that little shop there. And then when you're in that shop, the most important thing to do is ask the shop owner, where should I go next? What, you know, what's, 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 where's a good place to eat? You know, I feel like we have social media, but then there's just being social. Yeah. And actually asking people if you're in a really great cafe that you love, you love the vibe, you love the energy, just the next person over. You you already share something with them, right? Totally. But still, we look at our phones and we're trying to get reviews from people we've never met, probably have absolutely nothing in common with, right? Uh, you don't even know who that person is that you're following their advice. Yet someone who's right next to me, we're at the same cafe. That's something we have in common. Hey, where would I? Where should I go tonight for like just a really simple dinner? I don't want anything crazy, but just a place where I can eat alone and it's good. I mean, just even that. 
I think is is a, a really important question. So I know it's tough sometimes sometimes to talk to people. That's what, I'm a sort of an advocate of talking to people. The sure. art of the conversation is we're we're kind of it's being bred out of us slowly and. People love to give you advice. People love to be engaged in that way. And so I just always ask people. So if you go to an, if you're staying at a hotel and then everyone thinks that, you know, that concierge is that professional person who's there to give you advice. But I will ask, you know, the, 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 the night security guy, where do you get breakfast? Yeah. yeah. Cause they know. So it's just about who you ask and you just ask as many people as possible their advice while you're there. I'm a number one advocate of eating at the bar slash counter and just talking to people. I will chew your ear (laughs) off. Um, On that note, so like I'm obviously I watch a lot of I watch your show on YouTube, Mm -hmm. um, as I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, But I notice you often will meet up with people that live there Mm -hmm. and go around with them. And there are certain destinations where I feel less needing to do that but for example like my dream dream destination is Chengdu in in China (gasps) I've it's like Mm -hmm. we're gonna go but it's gonna be a whole thing and one of the things I wanted to do was like find an individual to like help us yeah while yeah. we're there because I mean listen I'll get a few words but I'm obviously not learning Mandarin <laughs> um and that's you know that's a really high I think that there are certain cities where there are such distinct versions of the city that you can experience yeah. based on your you know having inside knowledge so when would you say that a, an actual guide is worth investing in um and do you have any recommendations for people who might be looking to do that Oh, I love guides. I love getting the the, the the local, you know, feel of a place. Um, where have we gone? Because in our show, we, we rarely do like, we'll do individual ones. Where you really find great guides are those food tours. Are those, you know, um, I, I, we followed a, a, a group that does a great job all over China called Untours. Okay. And it was actually founded by a woman from Tennessee who was just like, so. Was that the woman in your Shanghai video? Yes. 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 I was just watching yeah, that one Exactly. This yeah. Um, and so we, um, um, you know, we kind of took her tour or th- that, that idea of a tour. Um, I'm trying to think how else. Uh, we like. And, and and I will say there's, it's you know you've got you've got that professional tour guide who you feel like you're never gonna break the per that they're per, so super professional that you feel like you're just gonna get this um, you know sort of just the spiel the, the spiel yeah thank you and then then I've had tours where the person wasn't professional at all <laughs> and I was just like man so you're looking for that in between so a lot of it is word of mouth. Um, there, you know, you can um, go online and find people like through via tours, like individual tour, mm-hmm. per, and just kind of look at their bios and see how many people liked being with them, um, that sort of thing. So it's it's a lot of there's a lot of research into it. There is. On that note, so um, it, when it comes to certain travel destinations, you know, obviously we're a show that tends to we we tend toward the financially conscious mm. conscious. So there's. Obviously, an element of wanting to listen. Like, we're not going to Stad on this channel. Um, I mean, we can have fun in Stad, but you know, I think a lot of people watching this are more interested in places where there's you know real financial value um, for what they can afford to spend. That being said, there's often a fine line between um, traveling in a place where your dollar goes very far and traveling in a place that is deeply exploitative to the locals that live there. Yeah. Um, can you talk about ways to kind of balance affordability with um, not getting into that exploitation as much as possible? Cities. Yeah. Cities are the best. I love cities. I remember hearing this quote. I forget who said it, but it was basically cities always win. Yeah. Right? Cities always win. Even they're kind of a little bit down right now after the pandemic. They're, you know, you hear about homelessness everywhere and and um, in every city we go to, um, but they're they're the best. Um, they, especially in the summer, you know, as we look towards another summer where um, prices, airlines are going to be through the roof, air, airfare, accommodations. Um, I feel like you're going to finally start to see that pullback. Everyone's talking about pent-up travel demand. There's only so much that these destinations, like Italy, can charge you up the wazoo. Yeah. And you walk away going, that experience stunk. And they're going to have to really, uh, you know, uh, make amends for that. Because yeah. after a while, this was not my, this was not my experience. And I paid a lot for it. I don't like it. And now I'm telling other people about it. But I feel like with, uh, with cities... 
you you know you have these uh, um, uh, free events all all summer. Uh, the locals are usually gone, so you have it to you know yourself. Um, there are convention cities like Washington D.C., Boston, Orlando, Las Vegas, where they have so much inventory in hotels that they're naturally going to be less expensive. Mm. So it's you know you always have to think in like uh, contrary to where everyone's going. Well, if everyone you know it's kind of like don't eat this, eat that. If everyone's going in this direction, I'm going to go in this direction so uh europe for example are really uh, two great places to go to uh in the winter right now uh budapest mm-hmm. budapest is a great place to go you've got that gorgeous european city the prices are like a third of what you'll experience in any other capital city but you also have a place that's really uh, beautiful to enjoy in the winter they have they're famous for their baths and those baths you are outside they're famous for their goulash that's actually a really hard meal to eat when it's 95 degrees it's perfect in the winter <laughs> and then um in the summer uh places like like northern ireland um ireland is packed northern ireland not so much but it's beautiful belfast a fascinating city with the titanic history and all the pubs and all the great food scene it's really a european hotspot, but sort of an unknown jewel itself and then it has the antrim coast which is stunning as well so you've got the beaches so again there there the places there there are they are there it's just if everyone's going in a in a certain direction it's really important to go the other way just kind of have that kind of mindset do you think, what do you think about um, resort travel? Oh, I think it's fine. I haven't done it in a long time. I like, uh, say, all-inclusive resorts and big cruise ships. I take a, a lot of big cruise ships um, itineraries with family because I, I do a lot of multi-generational travel. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do, like, an all-inclusive situation, then it is you planning the whole thing for, like, 10 people. And yeah. that is misery. So I think those um, those types of vacation really work well for allowing a great range of people from the same group have a good time and you're not worrying about the budget because it's all included and that's another thing if you're traveling are you going to have the best cultural experience no so it's yeah (laughs) uh a huge thing for more europeans than us is club med um, oh, yeah. Those yeah. are very iconic. <laughs> I feel like every European child has strong memories that of going right? to oh, Club Med as a child. Um, okay, so as I promised, I asked you guys for questions for Samantha, and you guys sent me. I mean, for every question, I had two people just saying, tell her I love her. <laughs> um, you guys have been heard, and it's been repeated. But we do have a lot of questions that I want to get to. Um, so the number one, well, one of the number one questions is how did you even get your job at the Travel Channel in the first place? Oh, I auditioned. I moved to New York City when I was uh, 21 after college, oh, wow. went to Syracuse University, moved here to pursue acting. And I waited on tables for eight years. I went to school for musical theater. And I, that means you're a triple threat. You can sing, act, and dance. And then you move to New York City and you realize you are not threatening at all <laughs> because people are very, very talented here. But I started um, to do a lot of improv comedy and basically I auditioned um, to be a host and I was like, what's a host? I don't know what a host is. I want to be a Shakespeare actress. But I got the job with the Travel Channel and I thought it would be for a year and here I am 25 years later. So. Wow. A rare non-Nepo baby, <laughs> like genuine success story. Genuine success story. Grinding it out, waiting yes. tables in New York City. And Grinding, you definitely. Pounding break. the pavements, absolutely. Um, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but it is a very common question. A favorite and least favorite place you've been? Oh gosh, um, my favorite place. Oh, that's so hard. I I love like, one I love, of your top five. Um, maybe. Okay, top five. Uh, Cambodia. I loved Cambodia. Ooh. It's one of my favorite places. Beautiful country. Beautiful people. Um, so uh, basically, all of Southeast Asia and then Asia. Just phenomenal because it's so in contrast of our upbringing right we I've, I feel like so many of us not all of us have this sort of western european upbringing and when you go beyond europe oh my gosh it's incredible so i love i love being out of my comfort zone so that really put me in a good way right in a good way to be out of your comfort zone least favorite was um belize uh, a long time ago i was there and i did not have a very good um, experience at all most people who go into belize don't go to belize city which is where i was it was a little dangerous mm. I, I found out pretty quickly, but I was okay, safe to, um, in the end. Um, but that always left a, um, a, a kind of a bad, bad taste. taste in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. 
remaking it all the way to Asia, I have such like, not insecurity, but so I, we spend a lot of time every year in, in France. I lived there for many years and then we go back for uh, family and friends, whatever. In-laws, get go somewhere else for once so we don't have to come to a random corner of Southwest France to see you. <laughs> but I, so I, I've only ever been, I mean, I've been to places in the Americas, but only mm. ever been to Europe. I've not been to Asia oh, um, yeah. or Africa. Mm. Well, I haven't been to a lot of Africa either, only South Africa. So obviously a massive continent there to explore. But yeah, I mean, I think China is fascinating. And China finally, as of like November 1st, all of their COVID era um, um, limitations Ooh. are gone. So you can go. I and mean, there was a real you know, risk a year, like a year after everything opened up, they were still testing. And you did not want to test to get in or get out because yeah. who knows what would happen. But they are finally done and they really want travelers to come back. They're also making the visa application process a lot easier. So, oh my gosh, Shanghai, Chengdu, there you go. Oh my, it's amazing. You can hold it. I don't know if you can hold a panda anymore. The, they might not be able to do that, but I, I was I'll able hold to. A panda. I, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'll, make, was, I'll was, find a panda. It was hold. awesome holding a panda. Um, but uh, anywhere in China, and people are lovely. And I think this is where we need more people traveling because when we understand each other's cultures, um, we don't skip to like thinking everyone's the enemy. Um, when I when Obama was in the White House, the State Department was starting a foreign student travel office mm. um, and because they realized Americans kids weren't traveling and they wanted to find out why because they really saw it as a security issue and I agree we need to travel more to really have an understanding of how the other half lives and have them meet us yeah so they don't think that we're the big bad Americans you know I agree I do think also you know there's a fine line like obviously I don't like my spending so much time in very similar places over and over is not optimal and I would like to move away from that model. Southwest France, she's talking to you. <laughs> Listen, we I I do love, you know, Basque country beautiful, yeah. like all that whole the, you know, Pyrenees gorgeous. Love it, love it, love it, but mm -hmm. how many times can you go? Um but that being said, I do think that there is a healthy balance between, you know, spending too much time in one place and also what I think a lot of people do to approach travel in, again, especially the era of social media, which is checking things off a list oh, and going yeah. to a place for, for a day, for two days, yeah. and hitting a few stops that, that are like the must-do things. And I do think, in my opinion, it's better to at least spend enough time to explore a city properly, um, to do all that. Do you have a, an amount of time that you think is, like this should be your minimum that you spend in a large city? Uh, oh, in a large city, yeah, two to three days. Yeah, absolutely. Two is still cutting it. Three, now you're having a nice time. Yeah, um, and I think anything three and over. And then what I really love about really um, expanding that time is one of my most important travel tips I give people is to create a ritual because yes. we are told we have to go in different directions every single day and we have to eat at different restaurants and that is not true. Um, creating a ritual, like for me, it's the coffee shop that I'm going to begin every single day at. It's not my hotel, but it is right around the corner and I just get to feel the ebb and flow of what it is like to live in this place and really feel that energy. And then I'm not thinking about what's next because we're always thinking about what's next. I'm just kind of in the moment. And these are just really important moments to have when you're traveling because they do slow you down. And I know that's really easy advice to tell people from someone who gets to travel. So, yeah. like, I get it. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to go to the Eiffel Tower when you go to Paris. Um, but I have been there a couple of times. And, I, you know, it's it's okay. I, I'm going <laughs> to tell you not to go to the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, what I always thought about the Eiffel Tower is, like, you get on it and you're like, huh. I don't see the Eiffel Tower because when you're in Paris, all you see is the ugly tour Montparnasse <laughs> sticking up like a middle finger on the other side of the city. So yeah, if you can slow down, and I get it, um, people are on this, you know, you know, they want to check things off. Um, you will never be able to check everything off. So yeah. why make that a goal? Also, I mean, I'm sure you feel this way too, living in New York. When you see the things that people are like, everyone in New York is going to this restaurant. I'm like, who is everyone? Yeah, yeah. I, 
have never been to Carbone and I will never. When people started like waiting hours for a cronut, I'm like, why would you do no, that? No, no, You're no, in no. the best city in the world. Like, enjoy what it. Is wrong? <laughs> like there's, so I live in a not touristy at all neighborhood, um, but there are, it's a lot of transplants because it's a college neighborhood. Okay. There are a few places up there that I think because of the college students start taking off. Mm. And notably, there is a really good sandwich shop called Milano Market that is okay. always busy. But then it went TikTok viral for their chicken Caesar wrap. And there were people waiting, I'm not exaggerating, an hour and a half to go to the sandwich shop. And in addition to ruining my life personally no. as a resident, I also just want, every time I was walking by, I wanted to yell at them like, it's not worth it, honey. Yeah. You can get a better, you can exactly. get a comparable wrap elsewhere and your time is valuable. Yeah, yeah. What Absolutely. is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. And so you imagine people doing that in the cities you're visiting and you're like, you wouldn't do it in your own city. Yeah. So it's why true. do it in another one? Yep. Um, okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> so many of these are just so, so, so sweet. Oh, was there a major budget downgrade between the Travel Channel and PBS? Um, well, it's my budget. So, yeah. uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I said I used to be the person everyone got coffee for. Now I'm the person who gets everyone coffee because I'm the executive producer. But uh, I get yeah, that. yeah, there's um, a lot, but uh, totally worth it. Uh, what are common travel expenses that are rarely worth the cost? I'm going to say a super expensive uh, five-star meal. I don't think meal. I don't think it's worth it. I okay. don't think you really get a sense of the real culture That's true. of that city. I think there are uh, food trucks and little mom and pops and little diner counters where you can just have the best experience because food is expensive. I mean, you're looking at a $300, $400 tab, and I oh, don't yeah. think that is worth it. And we don't show them on our show as well. And we get a lot of people wanting to be seen, like, oh, you have to go to this restaurant. I'm like, I I just, it's it's what, of course you're the best restaurant. It's, uh, you know, it's $70 for a, a, a salmon. You better be good. <laughs> yeah. Know? I hope so. I hope so. I thought you were going to say hotel, and I would say a really mm. fancy hotel. <laughs> I love you it. love a really I, fancy hotel. No, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend that much money on a fancy hotel either. No, there, I like that, but oh, they're so nice. <laughs> they are nice, but okay. So here's the thing: I feel like a yeah. nice hotel, yeah. like I understand it. If like, let's say you're going skiing, mm -hmm. and the difference between your hotel is like being able to like skiing. be on the mountain all right. the time, yeah. or like it's like very central to the activity. Okay, yeah. but if all you're doing is just like getting dressed to go out and spend the day yeah. in the city. What a waste. No, you're right. Absolutely. That being said, one thing I don't think people do enough, because you can take advantage of really good deals, booking last minute, is really nice staycations at a hotel in, in a different part of your city. I you love that city. idea. I love Because I always hated the word staycation, because you're, you're not going to relax if you stay at home. Uh, you, you know, the dishes are there. Your bills are there. You will never relax in the same way than if you just leave. And even like uh, Mother's Day, I always tell people, don't. Like, don't get a brunch. I was a waitress in New York City for close to a decade. Brunch, you know, Mother's Day brunch was the worst because people brought their wives in for the first time. They took her out. It was the most miserable day. We always ran out of eggs, Benedict. And I'm like, oh my, and what every mom wants is just like any hotel by herself. Yeah. So she can watch, you know, her shows, read, you know, watch, you know, trashy television, eat the whole bag of popcorn, read all she wants. Have a spa moment. Have a spa moment, which is maybe just a hot shower without a kid barging in. Um, so yeah, so I agree. They're, they're uh, a nice hotel. You know what you should do? You should date. I always say you can date a nice hotel. So oh. if you can't afford to stay yes. there, go and have, a, like, if you go to um, the St. Regis in New York City and go to the bar there oh my gosh oh my gosh wait it's that's such... like my number one life tip yep. is like I write books and I do all of my book writing in hotel lobbies bars, bars. cafes yeah. everywhere like you can sit wait, there you do all your day writing because that 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 kind of it's just a kind of a creative gets your juices going well so here's the thing I find the environment of most coffee shops to be rather stressful mm -hmm. um people just seem stressed out too much caffeine they're really crowded <laughs> there's often you're like feel weird taking up the space yep. you know yeah. there's like not enough power outlet whatever whereas a hotel people it's like a natural thing for people to spend all day in there hmm. you know because it's very transient people are waiting for their flights they're checking in they're checking out the people watching is insane the like a cappuccino and a sparkling water not that much more expensive mm -hmm. and the the vibe is just so much mm -hmm. better and you get to explore these beautiful places in the city that you would never normally go to so chelsea says don't stay at the nice hotel but date it 
Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. No, right. that's exactly just, just right. A little a light commitment. I love 100%. that. hundred yeah. percent. And you will, like, I will say, especially if you're going to go um, to like a very ritzy, interesting area, like the people watching on the Upper East Side in those hotels is oh, wild. It must be amazing. Yeah, wild. yeah. Or even down like in Soho when you see oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, people really do dress like that here. They do. <laughs> they do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think that's totally right on. Oh, okay. So a lot of people are asking, if you ever stay in Airbnbs, and if so, what you think of them? I have not. I I, I think I've done a VRBO, right? Yeah, yeah. So same same difference um, with my kids. Um, but I like hotels. I like amenities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like, and I don't even need room service. I don't need anything like that. But I just need that extra hand holding. Um, I don't want to figure out someone's Wi-Fi. I don't yeah. want to find out they had a dog here the last time. Um, I don't. I don't want any of that. If I, but with my kids, we we rent homes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we've rented professionally kept homes, so not even like Airbnbs. We so we usually stay for at least two weeks in a place. So you, you yeah have you to have get to do a home. Absolutely. I need a kitchen. I'm, yeah, I can't be eating course. out of a mini fridge for two weeks. But um, the range of experiences that you get at these Airbnbs. We were yeah. just in one. We were staying there for like a month. It was when I tell you it was a just house of horrors every drawer because this is one where the people clearly lived there full time yeah. and they were just scooting out to God knows where. You opened every drawer at one point. I opened a drawer and it's just full of pills. <laughs> I was oh like, I hope that they didn't need those. But I was like, yeah. what is going on yeah, in here, yeah, honey? Yeah. Um, but suffice to say, it's like. I don't know. I think that that is another example of the over commodification of yeah. travel yes. where everyone thinks they can do it. Yes. Everyone <laughs> thinks they can have guests and pay and charge them and, and charge them. Can't. Right. And exactly. Charge you hundreds of dollars yeah. worth of a cleaning fee and then expect you to clean. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What? Right. <laughs> uh, not me. Not mm-hmm. not I. OK. Um, uh so a lot of people are asking if you have like essentially habit tips for how you balance your life because you are you have this illustrious career you travel so much you're a mother you're mm-hmm. many many things i have a notebook that looks like a dictionary and it's my scheduler and a i paper keep one. it uh, yeah paper notebook i write i write everything down and so for me balancing is just understanding what's next and even if i type something in my phone it doesn't it doesn't go in the brain so that's my first step for a balance is to like you need to be here uh, you need to do this. Um, I am now at a place, luckily, I'm 53 years old. I've been working here for, you know, working on this for 25 years where I have the luxury of telling people no. I don't Hell care yeah. how much money it is. Um, so usually I do a lot of speaking engagements in the, in the winter and I've decided no. I want to have time with my kids. I have uh, 10-year-old twins, uh, 11-year-old twins. When are they? No, 10-year-old twins. Sorry. Again, I'm not good with numbers. It's terrible. Uh Um, But but, um, it's just really understanding what becomes important because you can be overworked really easily. Now, coming from like a younger standpoint, for those of you who are watching, if you're in your 20s and 30s and even early 40s, yeah, this is where you are pumping it out. You yeah, are yeah. you are doing as much as you can because you have the energy, you have the stamina, you have um, just that, that, that um, I, I don't know, I, I just feel like there, when I was in my 30s and 40s, like all I wanted to do was work and build my career. And then that's it's like okay I've I've built a good job now I can start to enjoy life a little bit more but um, so it's it's just always understanding what that is and sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not so good at balancing my life but and so you it sounds like you had your children relatively later in life very late I had um, them at forty three forty three was that a conscious decision like did you want to I, I suppose being on television yeah. it seems like such a complicated career yeah. to navigate yeah. having children with like how how did you kind of figure out when was the right time um yeah I always joke that travel having a travel show was the best form of birth control you could possibly have <laughs> because nothing's happening um and then so I, but this is the whole balance thing um I never really really had this deep need to have children it wasn't something that I was in, I didn't wasn't even thinking about marriage and then yes. finally met the person that I was like yeah I definitely want to be married and I definitely want to have kids and then I was like in my late 30s and didn't realize oh things are things are shutting down pretty quickly yeah exactly and they do so it was not a choice that um it was a lot of trying and and then and then finally getting you know medical assistance and then 
there you go (laughs) um but so all of that being said do you think you know as far as people so obviously you were at a career where it was particularly challenging to start a family midway for people who are watching women who are you know navigating a career that is you know in whatever way high stakes high demand not very compatible with you know being a, a parent in the early stages especially like do you have advice for finding the right timing or having the right kind of approach to it mentally I think you just have to go for it there's no good time to have kids none not there's in America none. there's not <laughs> there's none and you know luckily I think one of the benefits that we did find with the pandemic is that with everyone zooming that everyone had kids and they were getting involved in the zoom calls and and even they were back back of dads and moms and everyone realized oh you're you're struggling too you're tr- just trying to juggle and there feels like there was there's a little more leeway where before when I was working I mean I remember being asked so are you gonna have kids and I knew what that question was from people at the network and no 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 and um and even when I did have kids to really play it like Oh, I don't have kids because I just knew I was going to be slowly discriminated against. I was going to say that um, question sounds a little illegal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, and by women, too. This wasn't a man question oh. asking a woman. A, a woman. Women <laughs> were. The exactly. It was. But um, yeah. So don't if you want to have kids, have them. Yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll figure like they say, like jump off the cliff build your wings on the way down and it does and it does work every I was one of the first travel women who had kids and that was seen as like you'll never get your career back I did um and now that's all I see is women on that I know that I've you know kind of grown up with in my career with and they're having kids and they're making it work it happens it sure does and I will also say there's I think you know with regards to people who might delay it out of a, a misconception that there will be a better time oh, yeah. I think that goes along with so many aspects of what we give to our careers out of a misplaced sense of loyalty because if mm. a corporation mm-hmm. needs to cut corners or they need to find someone you know younger cheaper whatever they're not going to hesitate to cut you loose yeah you don't get brownie points yeah. for making all of these additional sacrifices yeah. but we know that I mean, I think it's pretty proven that the one thing that really holds women back in the workforce in her career is is kids, yeah. is the kids, because everything does fall on her, <laughs> you know. Well, not here. We're all ladies yeah. here. So. I know. So here, I love walking in. There's yes, a great the energy, vibe here, by the, the way. Is great. Really great energy. Um, okay. Uh, what is the one item you must have on a long a long haul flight? Oh. And do you always fly business, I assume? No, I don't. No, You're I don't. You're in economy? I'm in economy. Yeah, I do. I do. I do get out back there. I mean, I, I fly business enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes but I don't. But you now. Yeah. you got to mind yeah. those, those purse strings. I know. I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, my, the, my gosh. My, I tell you my most valuable item when I travel, and I'll say this because it's really fun and odd, are pinky balls. What is so that? So pinky balls are, and this ties into your budget, you know, doing things on a budget. They're, um, you get them at any toy store, and there are two rubber pink balls. And the, the brand is Pinky. Okay. So, um, and they're solid rubber pink balls, again, toy store. And so after a long haul flight, um, when I get to the hotel room, and you just feel like, ugh, um, you put them on the ground. I know people are like, ick, the hotel floor. I don't care. Um, and then you, you lay on them, and then you push up with your knees, and you roll the balls down your back and over your butt and down your legs and then you turn around and you put them on top of your quads and you roll down and then I stand on them and they work out my arches and I feel like I've gotten like a $200 massage for $2.75 and they go in every bag I take and I love them. What an unbelievably unique tip. Exactly. So that's what I always bring when I'm on a long haul flight especially wow. is just to work, work the joints out. Do you sleep on flights? Oh, yeah. I'm a good sleeper. I can even sleep in economy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Very (laughs) envious of this. Um, Okay. Uh, Oh, this is really interesting. Did the Travel Channel slash Discovery Network ever try to change your image? 
Yes. Oh yes. my God. What did they oh, try to do? Oh, big time. They wanted me to be sexy. Oh. So like ad sales wanted me to be the girl next door. The network wanted me to be the, the sex kitten. And so I got like a total makeover yeah. and I was just like, what am I wearing? I'm like, you see how I'm dressed. This is how I'm from New Hampshire for God's sakes. Um, but, um, and then because of Anthony Bourdain, they wanted me to be more negative. They wanted me to be uh, a little more, um, uh, um, a more off the cuff I'll never forget like once I read a voiceover I went into the voiceover studio to do um, a show and oh it was based on New Hampshire where I was from and they're like I grew up in New Hampshire but I couldn't wait to get the hell out I was like what are you talking about oh my that's gosh. what they wanted me to say so it's that kind of stuff how dare they I know um, ooh what are some underrated slash under the radar uh, US destinations that are budget friendly oh so many so Colorado Springs so I mean ooh. Colorado is like the number one travel destination I think it beat out Florida finally as a great place where people want to go to Colorado Springs is great because you've got a great airport that you can fly into Denver or Colorado Springs it's a great um, city with tons of hotel inventory that's mm. what you want mm-hmm. you know you want hotel inventory so you have every layer of budget and then just so much of of what makes a Colorado Colorado is free so there's amazing state parks there are amazing public parks where you can go biking and hiking and and all kinds of things and it's so I love Colorado Springs so that's one um under the radar what's another Huntsville Alabama another okay. one of my favorite destinations Huntsville is the home of NASA one of their homes mm-hmm. um and so it has this unbelievable scientific community uh, but it also is an affordable place to live yeah. so unlike Silicon Valley or these other places where there's a lot of tech um, uh, artists can afford to live there so it has a phenomenal art scene in fact it has the largest privately owned building called low mill arts and it's just filled with art studios that are opened up to the public and so if the artists are there they're creating what they're doing from printmaking to clay to painting to chocolates to food everything under the sun and you just walk the halls of this massive building 200 artists and you get to interact with them phenomenal place i love huntsville alabama where else um should I keep going I (laughs) have one I don't know if it's going to be under the radar enough but I feel like it's it's less under the radar for New Yorkers or East Coasters but I feel like Burlington Vermont doesn't get as much love as it should as like a real because I feel like there's well one of the worst airports in the in the country I'll say that you're just like in someone's living room (laughs) and also on top of that you have to walk across the tarmac to get to your plane and I don't know if you've heard this but in northern Vermont it's like a a negative 20 degrees on a good day so it's very cold but it's on the lake you're you know it's beautiful it's surrounded by mountains you can hike you can do it a snowshoe do whatever it's a beautiful little town there are a good amount of hotels the food scene it's probably one of the best food scenes in America Vermont has an incredible culinary tradition big agriculture center Mm -hmm. Burlington is great also you're an hour drive from uh, Montreal if you want to pop up oh and Montreal that's a fantastic destination it is. It's just so popular. I yeah. feel like everyone. That's true. But in the winter, again, That's I mean, it's true. cool. I was just there. But it's a great, great city. Did you do Cité Memoir while you were there? I didn't. Uh, I was there for work. Okay. But uh, my uh, dad's family is actually French Canadian. Gotta go back. So yeah. Yeah. I, I get up there. Uh, Quebec City, also wonderful. Love Quebec City. Love Quebec Absolutely. City. Hard yeah. to get to. Yeah. But the train from Montreal to Quebec City, one of the most beautiful trains in North America. I bet. Trains are another great budget. I mean, they're they're Heck still yeah. pretty high, but I, I feel like there's a, a nice travel experience. And then with flying and airplanes and airports these days being just hell on wheels, um, it's always nice to take the train. But yeah, I agree. Quebec City is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And last note on that, uh, we don't know how much we're missing as far as the train travel we should have versus the train travel we do have in the U.S. If you ever want to get involved with like a, a political cause that actually can make a difference, yeah. uh, tra- train travel is a huge, huge subject. And yeah. with the Green New Deal, we're investing more in trains than we ever have. That. Which you is know, still almost nothing. But Europe just launched their night jet, night train program. Oh, have yeah. you seen that? So Germany, Austria, France, Belgium, they all banded together and now they're running night trains, overnight trains. And they're like $30. Uh, you know, well, you know, pounds or euros, whatever you're going to use, as opposed to like a $100 flight. And we always know they're not really $100 flights because mm-hmm. they're just charging you for the flight, those budget airlines. Yeah. And then you're going to pay like $500 for your for yes. your bag. So, um, so that's interesting. I think train travel is coming back. It's the best. It is. It really it is. It is the best. Yeah. I did a ton of train travel this fall and it was wonderful. Um, okay. Uh, ooh, this is a really good question. Basically, they asked it over several questions, but essentially, how do you balance between real safety concerns and what can often amount to xenophobia from Western travelers? Hmm. Hmm. 
Well, we, when we travel, we're again, we're with a group and we are meeting that, uh, we are meeting an entity there, whether it's a film commission, whether it's a fixer. And so we have someone on the ground who is going to say yay or nay. So we always have um, an idea of our safety. That being said, I'm not vice. So you're not going to see me go to any of these places, just almost purposefully putting me in a situation that could be dangerous. Again, um, I think women have to worry about danger a little bit more than yes. men. And I don't, you know, I just feel like there are things that I just will not do, even try to do, just to see if I can do it. Um, so, yeah, it's going to places that um, we're really not worried to begin with. Yeah, I have a hard time envisioning a woman voluntarily being like, I'm going to go to a drug lord's jungle. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like compound and yes, yes. go have some, uh, go have a meal with him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um that's true. Although I will say when it comes to travel, you know, I think there can often be, even in Western countries, I think there is often a really outsized fear. I think typically from people who don't live in cities and aren't used to the experience That's of being so true. in cities. Yeah. And I think it's also about learning what is really worth being yeah. frightened by and what mm-hmm. is not at all. You know, it's interesting. I had a really great conversation up in Finger Lakes and I was with a woman who I know very well and she's Dominican. And we had a really great conversation because we're in this really beautiful countryside. And what we wanted the countryside, the people who live in these beautiful like little towns to know is that 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 you are scared of the city and sometimes we're just as scared of the country. Oh, 100%. you know, and there's just there is there's a there's um a just like I I've been in situations in the United States in you know out in the you know say Midwest or something where all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, I mean, I was getting looks that I just thought, wow, I didn't realize I'd, I'd, I'd get this look. I don't feel safe. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling you get that you're not welcomed. Um, and I think people who live outside of cities, who vilify cities, tend to think, oh, they live in where everyone wants to be. And it's like, that's not true. There are a lot of people who come out there and don't feel safe at all. Um, so 100%. It's, it's, I think it's reciprocal. I agree. You know? <laughs> uh, first of all, Finger Lakes slash Ithaca, also underrated oh, well, domestic exactly. destination. All of the Finger Lakes, all of Western New York. You've got two great airports you can fly into, Rochester or Buffalo. So yes. d- depending on what. And then you just have, so it's, you can always go out to the Finger Lakes and then come back to the cities if you have a better you know, um, accommodation rate there. High, highly recommend Canadagua. All mm, those places mm, are great. Mm, mm, mm. But I will say also on the note about feeling unsafe in more uh, suburban rural spaces, you know, I sometimes when I'm staying in a standalone home somewhere, like when I'm traveling for work in a less densely populated area, like we'll often, for example, rent a large space because we have to have a filming area um, and, you know, quarters if we're filming a lot of people for interviews or what have you. Um, And so, you know, like let's say even in Los Angeles or something, I'm in a standalone home. Yeah. And I, I always realize, I'm like, I'm alone in here. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone were to break in, if something were to happen, like, yeah. I'm done. Whereas, yeah. like, yeah. In, a, in a New York City apartment building, so you're like, I, like, cough too loud yeah. and five people are like, yeah. quiet down, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that so- is, to me, at least a security blanket that I take for granted. I totally agree. I totally agree <laughs> with you. There's something about being in a home where you can see all four sides. You're like, I feel like I'm going to come under attack in any second. What's happening? What's happening? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Like there was, there, a- there is, there is a comfort living in an apartment building with others, always hearing the familiar noises, knowing that if something happens, ten other people are going to hear you scream. A hundred percent. There was yeah. a mouse in the building the other day. It was like you had the whole building in the hallway discussing it. Yeah. They were like, "This is a community issue. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what is happening? We're never alone in the city, and so we're that's where alone. we're. I think that's where city people get a little unnerved is when we are alone. I totally, totally agree. And also, I I think there's also something about, because again, we often have to rent these large spaces that have space for everything. It's too much space. And that (laughs) is also in and of itself something that I find very disconcerting. Yeah, someone could be in another room. You would never know. Exactly. Don't like it. I want to be able to hear everything. Um, So we have time for just one or two more questions. So I'm going to try and find the best ones. Oh, are there ever spontaneous travel experiences that you will totally disregard your budget for? I mean, my kids, my ki- like if my kids want to do like, you know, a Harry Potter something in London and it's $200, <laughs> you were going to do it because we're not coming back. And yeah. that, that's probably our, our time. And that it's a, a moment that's fleeting because they're probably going to 
go past Harry Potter and that sort of thing. So yeah, when it came to like having this experience that we know we're only going to have here and our kids or they're going to be a certain age where this is no longer going to be applicable, applicable to their lives, let's take it. So yeah, when it's like that kind of when you think you're going to be creating these core memories for them. Yeah, it's that, the ROI. So I don't personally want children, but for my niece, yeah, the yeah. ROI yes. on doing something really special yes. for her. And especially as the aunt, you don't have yeah. to worry that it's ruining her yeah. for the rest no, of the year. No, that's right. That's your job yeah. to make her mother look bad. Like, <laughs> you want to like go on a shopping spree in the American Girl doll store? Yes. Have at it, queen. <laughs> Exactly. And it becomes that overt consumerism. You're like, oh my gosh, I am, you know, we just can't, we can't separate ourselves from it. We understand what it is. A hundred percent. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that is a delightful thing yeah. about kids, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. As a last note, also hilariously, a lot of people are saying that they grew up watching your show and they thought that that was what adulthood was going to be like and were severely disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like that. Um <laughs> Okay, so last question, and I want to end on a slightly more practical note. What are some systemic changes that you would like to see happen to make travel more sustainable and accessible? I think a lot of times when we talk about sustainability, we think about the earth. I think that's really easily. Rivers, trees. I would like people to be more interested in people. Yes. In sustaining humanity. Yes. That is what I put a lot of focus on, really meeting people face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and really caring about another person's experience. It is something we don't do. Mm. Um, We always um, listen to react, (laughs) not to just listen or respond. And I hope when people watch Places to Love that that's what they see me do. We spend a lot of very valuable time on camera showing me, like we're doing here, having a conversation. Mm. We don't fast edit. We don't cut things out. You see us getting to know people and the awkwardness that happens when you're just kind of interacting um, and figuring things out. Um, So for me, understanding cultures, wherever we go, um, okay, what's the perspective we usually get? How do we get the other perspective? Is there um, a First Nations or a Native American? We can hear their side of the story. Alaska Natives, we, we re- worked a lot with um, that culturally just to understand where they're coming from. I think it's really understanding people um, and our humanity that needs to be sustained. I love that. And actually, I want one more bonus question, which is people asking, where would you want to retire? Any place that you've ever been to that you would consider retiring to? Oh, New Zealand. I had plans. I wanted to bring my whole family there when the pandemic was happening. It is a beautiful place, lovely people, gorgeous landscape. And you're just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it is the most remote island in the world. It's like a big, I think. the big suburban house of countries. Yes, you yes, are exactly. Alone exactly. against the world. Exactly. I love, I love New Zealanders. They're really lovely. So that's where I'd go. My mother would kill me if I moved all the way over there, though. So yeah, you're far. Uh, yeah, that would be <laughs> not so just dropping by to, anymore. I'd have to bring everybody. Yeah, that would be a big partridge family kind of thing. Get a compound going. I say yes. Why not? <laughs> Get a little listen. Yes, I'll join your cult. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wears the same clothes. Um, well, thank you so much for joining. This has been such a pleasure to, to speak with you. And where can people go to watch Places to Love? Oh, samantha-brown.com. Um, you'll see all of our episodes are actually streamed free from my website. But it's also PBS, the PBS pa- Passport app, as it, as well as what you said, YouTube. I now have a YouTube channel, and we'll be feeding full episodes to YouTube channel going forward. It's a delightful way to start the day. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming, and thank you guys all for being here. And we'll mm. see you next Monday for an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. Bye.